This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. This episode of All the Books is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's new subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. If you've been dreaming of a stitch fix for books, good news, it's here now. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for, and then just sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 182, and today we are talking about books being released on October 30th, 2018, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow Will Redhead, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, hello. So, like, I read that so frequently that it, you know, like when you keep spelling a word, it doesn't look right after a <laughs> yeah. while? Like, I was like, I just said dot in between book riot and com. Like, what, why did I say the word dot? I just like, it just, I don't know. That was my problem today. <laughs> It is funny. These things are like so built into our brains now after all these episodes. And yeah. Just, what are, is this a word? It's true. <laughs> it's also, nice to be here with yes. you. It feels like like our schedules have been weird. And so we, we're not on a regular rotation these yeah. days. And I just feel like it's been forever. It has been. Also, this is the fifth Tuesday in October. It feels like it's been October for like seven months now. That's true. Yeah, there was no so. September. <laughs> September just evaporated. Yes. October is taking forever. Yes. And I feel like we've been talking about Halloween for years. I know. I was talking with a friend this morning about, you know, the next couple of months. And he was like, well, you know, it's, you know, basically we're getting into the holiday season. And I was just like, I'm not ready for that. Like part of it is that it's taken fall forever to show up yeah. in the South. So like our leaves are really just starting to turn in the last couple of days. And it's still 65 outside, which is glorious. Like a, a cool, you know, a cool morning and then a clear sky with 65 is a pretty nice way to spend the day. I'm not complaining. Uh, but October has just been, it's been weird. I feel like it's always weird now, though. It's That's just true. life. Yeah. It's actually been pretty cool here. In oh, good. Maine. Well, the Northeast is, yeah. you know, pretty reliable. We have good books this week, and I'm so excited about your first pick that I'm just going to pre-co-sign it and then be excited for you to talk about it. I I am excited to talk about it. It is The Proposal by Jasmine Guillory. She is the author of The Wedding Date, which pretty much everyone loved at Book Riot, mm-hmm. everyone who read it. Uh, and this one, I actually enjoyed this one more. I did uh, too. Yeah. Uh, so it's about a woman named Nicole, Nicole with a K, N-I-K-O-L-E. She is a freelance writer, and the book opens, she's at a Dodgers game, Dodgers World Series losers, uh, and she's at a Dodgers game with her boyfriend, Fisher. Uh, Fisher is an actor, He they've been going out for like five months, and she's not really into the game, he's talking to his friends, and 
he says to her, you know, hey, 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 look, look at this. And she's like, what? And she looks, and there's a proposal on the Jumbotron that says, will you marry me, Nicole? Nicole with a C. Uh, Fisher. Like, he spelled her name wrong. So she's like, Fisher's kind of more like a friend with benefits. Like, she's not really that into him, but he's really cute. And now he's proposing to her. They've never even said, I love you, to each other. He's proposing to her in front of uh, 45,000 people. And he's like, come on, say something. And she's like, if I have to say something, no. And he's mad. He's mad because he just got rejected on the Jumbotron. Oh, Fisher. All the people are, are like, looking at her like, what did you do? Like, how could you do that? Like, everyone in the stands... And so she sits down and she's, like, texting her friends, like, OMG, you won't believe what just happened. And this man, Carlos, and his sister, Angela, they see her sitting by herself now because he and his friends take off. And this camera crew is descending on her, you know, because, you know, here's this horrible woman that just rejected this guy on the Jumbotron, you know. And so they are like, hey, hey, it's great to see you. We haven't seen you in so long. And come with us. We're going to get a hot dog and whatever. You know, pretending to be, like, a friend of hers. And they sort of rescue her and take her out, out of there. And they go out for drinks and sort of get to know each other. And they start talking. Um, and Carlos is a doctor. He has been living with closer to his family for the last few years because his father passed away. And he's very close with his sister and his cousin, who is like a sister to him. And she's pregnant, so he's, like, taking care of them. Um, he thinks Nick is cute. She goes by Nick, and I okay? And she thinks Carlos is Did I say she, he? Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. I'm so everybody excited. thinks everybody else is yes. cute. <laughs> Everyone thinks they're cute. Um, after he leaves, her friends are like, you need to hook up with him. And she's like, did you miss the part where I just broke up with my boyfriend a couple of hours ago? And they're like, he's the perfect rebound. And she's like, mm, here's the reasons why not. Because my last boyfriend that was a jerk to me was a doctor and I'm not going to go out with doctors anymore. Her reasons are flimsy. But, they are you know, flimsy. They're, but they're true. her reasons, you know, that's fine. Uh, but then the, the rejection... The proposal rejection gets on Sports Center, and she starts getting harassed. Not to mention that her ex Fisher is sending her terrible text messages with horrible words. She's starting to get harassed on the internet because you know she is a black woman who rejected a white man, and how dare she? And it's just the horrible stuff is being sent to her, and so she kind of ends up hanging out with Carlos again, and she's a little concerned about going back to her house because of all these threats. So, you know, he goes with her. You know, they sort of become friends. Like, he's he's hanging out to, like, make sure she's okay. But also she decides she's going to take a self-defense course and invites her friends. And they go to, like, this really cool uh, self-defense course. And while this is going on, Carlos's cousin has to uh, get into bed. She has on bed rest for the last few months of her pregnancy. And he's really worried about that. And so they have, like, all these things going on in their life that don't really lend themselves to having a new relationship but they sort of become friends with benefits. And, you know, but both of them are like, this is not going to be, you know, anything serious. So, of course, you know how those yep. go. Yeah. So, it's it's adorable and fun. And the sex scenes are like, they're not explicit. It's sort of like, here's how it gets started. And then it fades out and comes back to, you know, and a while later, you know, mm-hmm. after that, you know, and which is... So, like, if you're, if, you know, explicit sex scenes are not your thing, there aren't any. So, don't worry about that. Um, there's actually a scene where he takes her to get tacos, like he introduces her to the best taco place. That was the hottest scene in the book, if you ask Agreed. me. Agreed. <laughs> I was like, I could read about, I could just like read Jasmine Guillory writing scenes of people eating tacos. <laughs> Seduce or, me yeah. more with your talk of chorizo. <laughs> yes, please. That is porn I can get behind. Um, 
But, you know, so I, I just absolutely loved it. They're charming and fun. And if I had a complaint, I have a tiny one. She has to work really hard to make you think that they actually have issues and might not end up together because they're so obviously <laughs> perfect. You know, like, mm -hmm. it, even, like, those were her excuses, but I thought they were kind of flimsy because I was just like, they're so great. I loved them as a couple. I love them together. And it's just so charming. Again, it is called The Proposal, and it is by Jasmine Guillory. I second all of those emotions. It's such a fun read and just like just fun, but substantial, exactly what I want, especially in contemporary romance. And the way that she does the like the fallout from that public moment is exactly what would happen to a woman who rejected a man on TV, especially, as you said, a black woman who rejected a white man and how that just plays out in Nick's life. Also, if you read The Wedding Date, you will remember that Carlos was the um, the best friend who shows up uh, uh, in the for the hero of The Wedding Date. I can't remember those characters' names right now, but that's the through line of this uh, series as it's developing so far. Um, I really, really loved it. Yay! Okay, my first pick this week, this is straight from the depths of the Shinsky wheelhouse, um, came out earlier this month. It's called Dare to Lead, Brave Work, Tough Conversations, Whole Hearts by Brene Brown, who is my fave. She is a sociologist and a speaker. She researches vulnerability and shame. And she's written a bunch of books um, that are so far have been about our individual lives. And she's talked some about family, you know, like, it's not just how to be a lone person standing in the woods with a healthy emotional life. She writes about our relationships, um, about family life and working life has come into some of them. But as her career has grown, she's found herself doing more work with corporations, more work with workplaces. And so Dare to Lead takes um, primarily takes findings from the research that went into uh, two of her recent books, Daring Greatly and Rising Strong, and adapts those specifically for the workplace. Um, the book is, I think, intended for anyone who goes to work, um, but specifically for uh, people in leadership positions, for bosses, for executives. But she also talks about that leadership is not just about the title or the position that you hold. Um, I think in most organizations, in most companies, the most change can happen from the top and how a company is structured. But if you want to be braver and more authentic and um, more vulnerable in a healthy way to bring more of your whole self to your work, this is relevant to absolutely anybody. Um, from the position that I occupy in Riot New Media Group, I'm thinking a lot about what it might look like to bring more of these lessons into how our company works every day and what it would mean for that to start with the leadership, but to, you know, create an environment where everybody feels like they can lead from a really authentic and wholehearted place. And, and really what it means to acknowledge that part of having people bring their whole selves to work is that we acknowledge that humanity means dealing with emotions, that the whole idea, this like very old school idea of like leaving your feelings at the door and just being about like, it's not business, it's personal, is really not productive or healthy, that people our people and have emotions and how we deal with our own emotions at work and how we deal with and acknowledge other people's emotions um, really, really matters. Um, I read Radical Candor by Kim Scott a couple of years ago, and that really shifted um, mine and everybody else in this office um, are thinking about how we communicate with each other and the structures that we put in place to support 
everybody doing as good of a job as they possibly can and serve, really serving our audience. And Dare to Lead has a lot of similar ideas, but feels much more like radical candor is about the structures you put in place and being human. And Dare to Lead is really much more nitty gritty about um, dealing with your own feelings and really getting in and dealing with other people's feelings. I think they'd make a good pairing. Um, but you know, I love Brene Brown. I think there's there's difficult stuff in all of these books because we all have something that we really wish weren't true about us or that we really wish we didn't have to look at and address. And she calls you to do that. Um, but in a way that is really acknowledging of humanity and feels really safe and important. So that's Dare to Lead, Brave Work, Tough Conversations, Whole Hearts by Brene Brown. And I loved it. Excellent. All righty. Our first sponsor this week. It's time to talk about that. And our first sponsor is Rothy's. If you are not familiar with them, Rothy's are shoes. They are stylish, sustainable, and they're comfortable. Um, that's the key here. Comfortable enough for everyday wear anywhere. It's These are flats. These are everyday flats for life on the go. And they have three fashionable styles, the flat, the point, and the loafer for women and for girls. There are tons of colors and patterns to choose from, and they're always getting updated. Not to mention, these are the softest shoes you'll put on your feet. You don't have to sacrifice one kind of comfort to get the flats. And they're made from recycled plastic water bottles, which is really amazing. Additionally, and here's a major bonus, if especially like if you're like me and you do have a life on the go, you travel a lot, these shoes are machine washable because your feet sweat. Also, sometimes you spill things on them or you step in stuff and it can be difficult to deal with that. Um, so I think that's, you know, just a ton of perks. They're comfortable. There's tons to choose from. Super soft, even though they're made from recycled plastic water bottles and they're washable. And, you know, there's these three foundational styles, but a lot of different ways that those styles can look. And I think it's especially fun because our styles are super different, libs. So I'm yes. wondering about which Rothy's you got. Mine are black. <laughs> that does not surprise you. It does not surprise anyone. But the thing that did surprise me is how soft they are. I was like, recycled plastic. Like, what is that going to feel like, really? Um, soft. They're like silky smooth almost. Ooh, yes. So, and it's exciting that they're machine washable. I speak from a, a place of knowledge as my cats threw up on my boyfriend's boots this morning. So, <gasps> it's only a matter of time. <laughs> <laughs> we need Rothy's for boyfriends now. <laughs> So we love our Rothies. We know that you will too. And right now they have a great deal for our listeners. Use the code all the books to get free shipping with no minimum. That's free shipping plus free returns and exchanges on your Rothies shoes when you go to Rothies. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com and enter all the books. This is a no-brainer. Shoes are comfortable, stylish, and sustainable, plus free shipping. So get yourself a pair today. It's Rothies.com promo code all the books. I realized as I said that that he is sitting in the next room and I haven't yet told him. So. <laughs> Hi, Surprise, <honey>. Pete! <laughs> I was going to get to it. I had stuff to do this morning. <laughs> oh, all right. So I am so excited about my next pick. It is called Jack of Hearts and Other Parts by L.C. Rosen. I am a little already stressed out though because I know it's going to be leading the banned books lists next year. Uh, and that's a shame, because it is a wonderful, sex-positive, queer-positive young adult novel. It's about a teen boy named Jack. 
He is gay, he is sexually active, he has no problem telling people these things, talking about it. He's also the king of the rumor mill, or the, the king subject of the rumor mill, I should say. Mm. He likes to sit in the bathroom and smoke a cigarette and listen to people talk about this wild sex life that he doesn't actually have. Um, and then one day his best friend asks him to write a sex advice column for her blog. And so that he does it under the pen name Jack of Hearts. And he starts answering questions. Uh, kids at their school and other schools write in and ask them things, ask him things about, you know, what is what is it like to be gay? What is, you know, like explicit details about gay sex, things like that. And he answers them. And he, the sex talk in the book is very frank. It's very explicit, but it's also very important because he discusses sub- subjects in like a non-preachy way. Uh, he addresses being out, he addresses shame, uh, talks about how your body is your your own to use as you want, no one else can tell you. Um, he, he talks about safety, toxic heterosexuality, uh, how the closet exists. He thinks, you know, the closet exists because straight people put gay men and gay women there because of shame. Uh, he talks about the fetishiza- fetishization, I knew I wouldn't be able to say that word, <laughs> of gay men by women. Everything he talks about is, he's very funny, he's very frank, uh, and it's it's important, and people are responding to his column. You know, they're they're reaching out to him, saying thank you so much for you know telling me about your experiences because he does it like in the context of his own experiences with these things. Um, but he starts getting these weird notes in his locker that are getting increasingly creepy and stalkerish. And so while he's you know de- dealing with his column, he's also dealing with this like creepy stalker person. He does. His friends are trying to discover who is behind them. He is helping them. He doesn't want to go to the police because he's worried that if he does, the his name will be attached to this column that he's writing, and then colleges that he tries to get into will Google his name and you know see it might hurt his chances if he's writing a sex column as a as a teen boy in high school. Um, and so, but it's like not in a Christopher Pike kind of you know stalker way, mm. but like in a realistic like this is how we're going to deal with this way. Just like everything else in the book is realistic and. It's, I just think it's really important. I mean, there are hardly any books out there, you know, for gay teens, especially, you know, from a long time ago. Like, there weren't, like, none. And now, you know, there's something for them to learn about sex and, you know, the experience from something other than, you know, the Google search. So, it's so, so good. I mean, it's just so, also charming and full of heart. And I just, I love it so much. And... That's all I'm going to say about it now, because I could talk about it for another hour. So again, it's called Jack of Hearts and Other Parts, and it's by L.C. Rosen. That sounds so good. It is so good! All right. My next pick this week, I loved this book. It was really fun, is Family Trust, which is a novel by Kathy Wang, and it is out this week. I'm like hardly ever reading books on the days that they're released these, you know, this time of year, and I'm right on time. I couldn't be happier about it. This is a big ensemble novel, which is a thing that I love that rotates between a bunch of different characters' perspectives, all about a family dealing with one of my favorite subgenres, which I refer to as rich people problems. Um, One of the blurbs for this book says that it's like a mashup of The Nest and Crazy Rich Asians. And The Nest comparison is definitely right there, if you read that by Cynthia Dupree Sweeney. Um, It's about a family 
the Wong family, the patriarch of the family, Stanley, uh, has just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And for years, he has been talking about how much money he's worth. Various amounts have been thrown around. He at one point told the kids that they would each get a few million dollars, but he's also told his uh, new wife that it's $7 million. No one knows. But now that he is imminently dying, uh, everyone is thinking about how much money Stanley has or doesn't have and what they're going to get from it. And they're all in complicated places in their lives where it matters to them how much money they get from it. Uh, So the book is all about Stanley's family. There's his son, Fred, who is working at a venture capital firm, allows himself to be perceived as fancier and more important than he is perhaps, especially by his girlfriend, Erica. And Fred is trying to get in on the ground floor of a new business deal that he thinks is going to blow his career wide open. Uh, Stanley's daughter, Kate, works for a tech company. She has a, She's pretty well established. Her husband has been working on a startup, though she's not sure how much work he's actually doing. Uh, maybe he's having an affair. Uh, she's dealing with that, with dealing, uh, she's also dealing with the sort of the ego and eccentricity of a boss at this startup company who also, you know, maybe thinks he's fancier or cooler than he is, and raising two small kids. Stanley's ex-wife, Linda, is doing just fine financially, doesn't need any of his money, um, and is really suspicious that actually there is any there for her kids. So she's trying to advocate for them to like talk to him about the will and get the details. But also she's you know an older lady who's been single for a long time, and she gets enticed to join a dating app and meets a man on there who might not be exactly who he purports to be. And then there's Stanley's new wife, Mary. New as in like been married for a decade. She's much younger uh, and she caters to his every need and thinks that she's earning a big inheritance when Stanley dies or whatever the word is for it that you leave for your spouse. I think inheritance is for your children, but whatever. She thinks that she's going to cash out when Stanley dies. This is not to say she doesn't love Stanley, but she loves him and is counting on their being money. Um, There's a lot of stuff around the culture that Stanley and Linda come from, and also the cultural expectations that their kids carry about money, about career. Um, Kate and Linda both wrestle pretty openly with stuff about balancing their romantic lives with their personal desires. And, uh, you know, interesting stuff about the marriages. I think this book is going to garner a lot of comparisons to Crazy Rich Asians, just like in that blurb that I mentioned. But it's like it's really not the feeling at all of Crazy Rich Asians. The things that they have in common in my reading are that these are books about Asian characters and that they move both novels or both sets move between a bunch of different characters. To me, that comparison really just says we don't have a lot of great contemporary fiction about Asian experiences. The the family in this book is very different from like the level of rich, um, and not to mention coming from different Asian countries um, than what Kevin Kwan writes about. They're both great books, um, but I don't want to make that comparison just because we happen to be talking about big novels that deal with the complexities of Asian families. Um, The Nest, to me, does feel like the most straightforward comparison. But this was really 
it was a fun read. It was compelling. The characters wrestle with all of their stuff in ways that just makes you want to keep turning the pages. And there's some good drama. There is some good drama and some good, you know, juicy shenanigans where people are not what they have presented themselves to be and things do not turn out as would be expected. So if you like a rich people problems family drama novel, this is going to be right up your alley. It's Family Trust by Kathy Wang. All right. Okay. I was going to read the one, but you called it first, so I'm definitely going to read it soon. Yeah, I think you'll dig it. So, in keeping with my last pick, uh, my next pick is Paperback Crush, The Totally Radical History of 80s and 90s Teen Fiction by Gabrielle Moss. I mentioned last week that I was going to read this. I loved this. This was so... It squeezed all my nostalgia feels because mm. that was, you know, the books that I read when I was a kid. Um, And she kind of highlights the books that led the transition from the realistic YA of the first 40 years of the 20th century, because they kind of, there's a couple of books that they credit with starting with the YA, including like the Nancy Drew series, but basically like around the 30s and 40s, a couple of YA series started. Um, And this is a look specifically at the books from the 80s and 90s that sort of led the transition from the realistic YA to the YA of the 20th century. Um, Because... Over 50% of YA readers are adults. You know, just because you're reading mm-hmm. a book as a kid and you turn 18, you don't immediately stop wanting to read those subjects or those series. Like, that's not what happens, you know. And a lot of YA readers are adults. Uh, and so she talks about uh, all these different series that came out back then, like The Babysitter's Club, which I've never read. I don't know why I didn't read those. Um, Sweet Valley High. Oh, I High. wonder if they would stand up. I don't know. Well, she, that's what started. Wait, was it Sweet Valley High? That's what started this book idea, was she needed mm. some comfort reads, and she bought mm-hmm. a giant box of babysitters. It might have been Sweet Valley High. <laughs> uh-huh. from, but whatever it was, she bought it on eBay, and then she was like, I, I love these still. Um, but there's something called The Saddle Club, which I never heard of as a series. Um, but, uh, so she, she talks about how important a lot of these books were. They validated girls' stories with the different subjects and and um, the situations that they got into. She also says it's a mixed blessing because it doesn't make up for the fact that most of them centered around stories of rich white girls who were thin and hetero and had naturally straight hair. Um, She covers, you know, what little books about diversity and queer teens that there were, like like how Annie on My Mind sort of led the lesbians Mm -hmm. in young adult fiction. Um, But they're broken up into several chapters... Uh, she does covers like love in books, love and sex, what books featured it, you know, how it was taboo in some of them, uh, friends, uh, family, like the pes- the pesky sibling books, uh, school, jobs, how a lot of kids in books had jobs even though they didn't really need to have them back then, um, but as opposed to like now where no one has any money ever. Uh, there's ones about danger, which were like the special, very special episodes uh, like, sort of books, because one, you know, they'll be about, like, eating disorders or abuse or something like that. And then terror, like how Christopher Pike kind of led the, you know, horror and YA charge mm-hmm. starting in the in the 80s. And what I learned first was that that is not his real name. I had, <laughs> I've read every Christopher Pike up until, like, 94. Had no idea. His real name is Kevin McFadden. <laughs> Which is not nearly as scary. It's not. Christopher Pike is a good pen name for yeah. a horror writer. Yeah, so she interviews him. She interviews a couple of other authors who worked on romance in YA. Uh, she talks about a lot of books. I had such a great time reading these because 
it, reading about these, I should say, because I I mentioned this last week. I lost my reading log from when I was young, oh. and so I saw so many titles that I was like, I read that, read that, read that, read that, including like some of you will know these. Like Karen Keppelwhite is the world's best kisser, the ghosts, <laughs> the ghosts of Departure Point, Up nope. in Seth's Room, the Against Taffy Sinclair Club. There's a bat in bunk five. Oh, I know that one. Wait till Helen comes. Uh, oh, yes, and yes. Too Young to Go for Boys, which is like <laughs> numerals instead of letters. I just, I loved all of these. And you know, um, but here's the thing that I realized, and I'm just going to mention this, because people ask me all the time, how, how do you read so fast? And I finally think I hit on it. In reading this book, I remembered when I was a kid, my mom was a librarian, so I would go with her to the library whenever I could, and I would start reading a book. And I often read books that were way older than I should be reading. So, like, when I was, like, six and seven, I was reading these these teen books. And so she would just let me wander off and read whatever I wanted. But I couldn't take it out because I didn't want to show her what I was reading. But mm-hmm. I didn't want someone else to take it out. I wanted it to be there, you know. So I would rush really hard to read the whole book in one day so that I didn't, you know, I could find out what it was. I wasn't left hanging before we left the library. Does that make sense? Yes. I feel like I'm just babbling now, which I There's am. the secret. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go just, back in time. I'm just babbling. But so that, I think that's what it is. I pushed myself to like read a book in a day because I was afraid, you know, my mom wouldn't let me read it if she saw what I was reading, which never happened. She never told me what I couldn't read. But it was a good motivating fear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this was like, because then when I was eight, she moved from the children's library into the adult section mm. downstairs and then I was reading books there that I definitely should not have been <laughs> reading um so if you're ever wondering you know what is wrong with her there's so many reasons um <laughs> but anyway I loved this book it's really fun you sh- if you especially if you grew up in this time you should get it for yourself get it for your bff you should get it now because as we know holidays books run out and it's mm-hmm. really great full of tons of colored pictures Great stuff. So, again, it is called Paperback Crush, The Totally Radical History of 80s and 90s Teen Fiction by Gabrielle Moss. That sounds like so much fun. I loved it. It reminds me, um, when I was a bookseller, there was a girl, I think she must have been like 15 or 16, who would come into the store pretty frequently. And I would see her, like, you know, sitting in the big comfy chairs reading books. But I didn't know if they were books that she had brought in or just was taking off the shelves until one day she came to the customer service desk and was like, my copy of blah, blah, blah is missing. And I, you know, I wish I could remember what the book was. And I was like, what do you mean your copy? And it turned out that she was doing the same thing. There was some novel that was like definitely an adult novel that she had been coming in the store reading. And this was probably not the only one, but she would come in and take it off the shelf and then like make a note to herself about where she had stopped and then put it back on the shelf. And it didn't really occur to her that someone else might buy that. (laughs) Uh, yeah. <laughs> she needed your superpower, Lib. She needed to read them all in one go. <sighs> I wouldn't go back to my childhood for all the money in the world, but I do miss like those library days. I do. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, before we keep going, you got to tell me about our next sponsor. <gasps> our next sponsor is Ritual. Traditional multivitamins weren't doing women any favors, so Ritual reimagined one from the ground up. The result, Essential for Women, two daily capsules made with the nine essential nutrients most women lack. From D3 to Omega-3, Ritual Essential for Women fills the gaps in a woman's in a woman's diet, a women's diet, that too. In a woman's diet, all with fresh minty flavor and no fishy aftertaste. 
And for all of you obsessive label readers, you'll be happy to know that Ritual's ingredients are vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergen-free. A subscription is easy to start. It's just a dollar a day to have all the essential nutrients your body needs, and they are delivered right to your doorstep every month. So I was really excited when we heard that they might be a sponsor because as a vegan, I take a lot of vitamins, a lot of vitamins, and this sounded so great. So I did a lot of research looking into it and they're just, they seemed like they were really in support of good health. So, and the company was founded uh, when the owner uh, was pregnant. She became really hyper aware of what she was putting in her body and that's how Ritual started. I take disgusting vitamins. I take, like, they come from the health food store. I take something called a blood builder, which is just as awful as it sounds. And I have to take it with, like, a soda or something, or else I will taste that all day long. It's like sucking on pennies. It's disgusting. So I was super excited to try this. And I've only been taking it for a few days. Just got them. But they're, they smell so good. They smell minty. Like, I was like, minty, minty taste. Okay, whatever. But there's, they smell good. Which was exciting to me because blood builder. Well, yeah, and I think anybody who's taken omega threes has had the experience of like those like fishy aftertaste yeah. situations, and that's just not great. These the mintiness here is really nice. Yeah, as a vegan, I don't I don't take vitamins that have you know fish oil in them, so it's really important to me to find things that you know still have those kind of omega omega threes and stuff like that. Um, so, and all in one, it's, it looks really cool. Like it, I think that might be the selling point for me was that it looks really cool. It's got like little gold balls. I don't know what those, I wonder if there's an actual name for like those little tiny balls inside a capsule. Hmm. Do you think maybe? I don't know. Magic. Let's just go with magic vitamins. <laughs> I don't think they can call them that, but. Probably not. <laughs> but it just, they look really, really cool. So. I'm super excited to be starting them. I will let you all know, like, how it goes as I I continue, because right now, totally on board. Uh, So whether you're living life or creating it, you can add some good-looking science into your daily routine. You visit ritual.com slash books to start your ritual today. That's ritual.com slash books. All right. Health for everyone. Yeah. All right. Uh, My next pick is... Hearth, a global conversation on identity, community, and place. It's an essay collection edited by Annick Smith and Susan O'Connor. And I have you to thank, Liberty, for the existence of this book in my life, because you mentioned to me that Terry Tempest Williams, uh, whom I really just love, uh, has an essay in it. So they sent me a copy and I loved it. Uh, The the editors went to a really diverse and interesting group of writers and asked them to write about what hearth means to them um, from the perspective of, and I'll just read this straight from the copy because I couldn't sum it up any better my, myself, that a hearth is many things, a place for solitude, a source of identity, something we make and share with others, a history of ourselves and our homes. It is the fixed center we return to. But they also talk about that this is an idea that we carry with us, that hearth and the notion of sort of home and uh, the fe- the feeling of being home is a thing that we can take with us. It's also a metaphor for, I think, what we're all trying to, to find or to return to, especially in 2018, when we're dealing with things like climate change and immigration and refugee crises. And ultimately, probably the biggest one is all of the effects that technology have in our lives that, that we don't 
like. Uh, and these writers just take a ton of perspectives on it. Um, there's Terry Tempest Williams, who writes about a friend performing a tea ceremony right after the 2016 election. And she weaves the rituals of the tea ceremony through with reflections about having hope for the country and what it means to come together um, and to observe these rituals and to have community even in really hard times, maybe especially in really hard times. Bill McKibben is here, Natasha Trethewey, Chigozi Obioma, whose book, The Fisherman, we really, really loved, uh, has a lovely essay. And, you know, there are just also different definitions of hearth, different ideas of it present in this anthology. There were some writers that I had never encountered before that I'll be looking up afterwards. The book was really a balm for me. And I don't like I that sounds flowery, and I don't use it lightly. But in a year, like in a couple of years that I think have been really difficult um, for a lot of us, these reflections really brought me back to what is important? What is it that we're trying to get back to? Like, what is all the fighting and the resisting ultimately about. Um, and it, it was very grounding. I really, really loved it. And I'm so grateful, Lib, that you sent this one my way. Uh, yes. So it's Hearth, edited by Annick Smith and Susan O'Connor. Well, I got a copy, and I saw that, that Terry was one of the contributors, so I thought, Rebecca would like this. I don't want her to punch me in the face through the computer when I, <laughs> if I start talking about it, and she's like, what? So Yeah, you can't just drop that you read a book with Terry <laughs> and didn't tell me about it. We would have... I would never. Yeah. I would have been sad. Yeah, girl empowerment, not girl tear mm -hmm. down. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, speaking of nothing related to anything that we just <laughs> discussed, my book, this last pick, actually came out in June, but I just got around to reading oh. it. And it's almost Halloween, so I figure I get in one more yeah, scary book recommendation. Uh, it's called The Anomaly. It's by Michael Rutger. I saw it pitched as Indiana Jones meets The X-Files, and I meant to get to it, but I didn't. <sighs> And that sounds like fun. So I finally did. And it's about a guy named Nolan Moore. He's this sort of cocky, internet-famous, rogue archaeologist. He makes this web series uh, based on theories of things that he's heard on the internet, like about a world of giant people that used to be on the, the Earth and things like that. Things that uh, archaeologists normally poo-poo. But conspiracy theory fans love him. They love the show. It's really popular. And now he's got his big break, maybe. He is set to explore a cavern in the Grand Canyon, that this mysterious cavern that an uh, explorer in 1909 wrote about in his journal. Uh, no one has discussed it since then. No one has seen it or mentioned going there. They're really, it's kind of illegal for what they're going to do to go look at this cavern. Um, but he's bringing along his cameraman and his director, his producer, and a journalist who thinks he's a fraud. But she's going to write about him anyway. And a sponsor. There's a, a woman going along with them. And if this goes really well, they might sponsor his show and he might get on television. And then he really needs this break. He's been having a rough time. He just got divorced. So they go down this river into the Grand Canyon and they find a cave. It might be the cave that this explorer from 1909 was talking about. They climb the face. They go into the cave. Uh, bad things happen. That's basically <laughs> all I can tell you. <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a mysterious cave in the side of a rock. Um, but I, I can't tell you really anything without spoiling anything. So I will say, like, when I started reading this the first few pages, I was like, I hate this guy. 
like I don't like him <laughs> at all. But I'm so glad that I stuck with him because it, it's only like a few pages of him being like, yeah, I'm pretty rad and we're going to do this thing. And then they get to the cave and it's like, ah! Um, I loved the explanation for what was in the cave. I loved what was in there. Um, it is not for people who are afraid of small spaces or mm -hmm. the dark, unless that's like, you like being scared by things that scare you, like the news, then go for it. <laughs> um, I, like, I was like, I'm not really scared scared, but I'm so digging what happened inside that cave. So mm -hmm. again, it is called The Anomaly, and it is by Michael Rutger. <laughs> Bad things happen is like the place that I'm always waiting for your selections <laughs> to go. <laughs> yep. They do. Just when is when are we going to get there? Um, my last pick this week uh, came out several months ago. It's been on my list for a while, and I finally got to read it by audio a couple weeks ago on a road trip with Bob. It's called The Feather Thief, Beauty, Obsession, and the Natural History Heist of the Century. I love a true heist story. Like It is a thing I can't resist. I also love a fictional heist story. I will watch Ocean's Eleven every time it is on cable. <laughs> um, this is just excellent. Kirk Wallace Johnson, the author, um, had a long career in the military and then was working in an organ a nonprofit that he had created trying to bring refugees from the Middle East over into the United States. His life was very stressful. He is out fly fishing in New Mexico a couple of years ago. And his guide starts telling him about this heist that took place in 2009. Here is the setup. A 20-year-old flautist from America named Edwin Rist, who was well-known um, well in the community of not fly fishermen, but fly tires, because that is a thing. Um, people who are really um, into and bordering on obsessed with the Victorian art of salmon fly tying. Um, Edwin Rist was really good at it, became famous basically online through the community of people that gathered online uh, to practice the art, to share tips with each other, and to trade and sell each other feathers and bird skins that um, are used to, to tie these flies. Now, the catch is that a lot of catch. the feathers... <laughs> oh! <laughs> I, man, I didn't even know I was doing that. Um, a lot of the feathers that are used in these traditional Victorian salmon flies are from birds that are protected now. And so you can't just go capture these birds and use them, use their feathers or their skins to, um, to make salmon ties or to do anything. And in some cases, the Victorian era, not just the fly tying, but the use of the birds' feathers in hats and fashion led to these birds being endangered. So for a lot of reasons, the materials to make these flies are not widely available. Edwin Rist finds out that the Tring Museum, which is one of the outposts of the British Museum of Natural History, it's in the suburbs of London, um, the Tring Museum has a staggering collection of rare bird specimens, some of them collected 150 years ago by Alfred Russell Wallace, who was discovering essentially the theory of evolution at the same time that Charles Darwin was. Um, he so – not – not not Wallace, Edwin Rist, breaks into the museum in the middle of the night. It has very poor security and he steals like a – lot, more than a hundred, a couple of hundred um, of these rare bird skins, makes off into the night. No one even knows that 
the museum has been robbed for months. Like someone ultimately finally goes and opens a cabinet and that should have a bunch of birds in it and it has very few birds in it. And then they start trying to uncover who has done this. Um, that happens, the, the heist happens in 2009. By 2011, when Kirk Wallace Johnson hears the story, he becomes obsessed with it. And I love this when a writer just gets totally into the puzzle they're trying to unlock. He's He wants to know, like, how did Edwin Rist plan this thing? Did he really carry it off by himself? Like, what would possess a person to steal dead birds? Did Edwin get caught? And did he pay for his crime? And what happened? Like, did they recover the missing birds and the missing skins? Did they not? Who all was involved? Like, how deep into the fly fishing community does this thing go? It's just fascinating on a lot of levels, because I also think, you know, learning about these niche communities and like obsessions that drive people to do things like rob a natural history museum it's just fascinating. Um, somebody in the book at one point says like that they think it's a shame that these birds that were collected by a famous historical scientist are locked away um, when they could be being used to make Victorian fly ties. Like, screw the historical import and screw all of the scientific discoveries <laughs> that we came with. Like, let us make things with them, give them to the internet. Uh, it's just, it's just so interesting. And it's wonderful on audiobook. Like, there's, you know, how how the um, obsession happens, there's how the heist is conducted, and then there's this whole other bit about Kirk Wallace Johnson really trying to crack the case. Um, I just really, really enjoyed it. If you're into heists, I think you're going to love it. The Feather Thief by Kirk Wallace Johnson. Yeah, I've been recommending it to everybody who wants a true crime book without a murder. Yeah, like the stakes are not death. (laughs) Yeah. And also, I you listen to it. I read it, and at the very beginning, when he's discussing his, how he came to be obsessed with this case, he, when he just casually drops in there that he sleepwalked out a four-story window, right. I was like, oh, oh, I had to set the book down. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, like, it's one of those stories where like Kirk Wallace Johnson had to be in a certain place in his life to get hooked on what was happening here, and and he hooked. was like he's recovering. <laughs> You know, like, hooked up. You're just dropping them today. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just reel you all in here. Um, Yeah, I think that's a really critical part of the story, though, is that he's recovering from major trauma from his experiences in the military, and he's looking for what he's going to do next in his life. And he needs something else to think about. So he's using fly fishing to relax, and his brain just latches on to this story that, like, at another part of his life, or if the guide had been telling the story to someone else like that person might not have gotten obsessed with figuring out what happened so it's just a bunch of dominoes that had to fall in a certain way for us to get this book and i'm really glad that it's out in the world i thought it was really great so those are new books and relatively new books and other things that we're reading this week lib what are you going to read next i am going to read middle game by shannon mcguire Uh, I don't even know what it is about, just that it arrived, and I love her, I love Into the Deep, I love the Every Heart is a Doorway series, this is her new one, comes out, oh my goodness, I don't even know, uh, sorry kids, it comes out May 7th, (laughs) Um, but it's like a 400 page novel, it's a standalone novel, it says here it's about amoral alchemy, shadowy organizations, and impossible cities. Ooh. Yeah, what are you going to read? I'm going to read Crave by Christine O'Brien. All I know about it is the subtitle, which is A Memoir of Food and Longing. And that sounds perfect. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that's our show. Thank you to our sponsors this week. Go to Rothy's, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com and use the code all the books to get free shipping, no minimum on your awesome, comfortable, washable new shoes. Go to ritual.com slash books to start your subscription of ritual vegan-friendly vitamins. And let us, well, Liberty and a team of other great bibliologists send you tailored book recommendations. Sign up at mytbr.co. If you have something to say to us, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com or hit us up on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S C H I N S K Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. But really, if you've got something to say, email is the best. So that's all the books at bookriot.com. And if you want to, you know, start gearing up for the holidays, give us a little treat. Please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, or books in general, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, in the meantime, happy happy reading. reading.